this is the Bedford Blues Podcast. Hello, welcome, glad you could be with us. It's the Bedford Blues Podcast, episode number episode number three. No one has intervened as yet and told us to stop, so we will keep going. We are once again out and about in Bedford. The name of the place we are at the moment is the Swan Hotel down on the river. A wonderful place to come and have, come, come and have a cup of tea and a little bit of cake. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And uh, that is just what we're doing. Look at this festive menu, lovely uh, place to bring the mother. Uh, do so. Uh, the Swan Hotel down in Bedford is where we are. We'd love you to come and visit them as well. With me, I have not just one, but three giants of Goldington Road. First up, a man just back from the Rugby World Cup. We are very pleased to have him back. Fly half USA International, Will Hooley is with us. Hello, Will. Hello, Sam. Good to have you. Alongside him is a man who marauded into his... How many seasons have you had now, sir? This is my fourth season. I got it right, yes, into his fourth season with the Blues and continued to munch his way through games. And a man who went to school with Joe Rafter, which in itself is quite a feat. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, Mr Ed Taylor. Good evening, Sam. Good evening. And uh, the trio is completed by the poster boy of Bedford Blues. Uh, He runs fast, he scores tries, and generally takes all the credit for everyone else's hard work. It's (laughs) Dean Adamson. You're not wrong. Hello, Sam. Oh, good to have you with us. And it's a lovely place. We were just remarking how lovely the Swan Hotel is, isn't it? Oh, it's beautiful in here. I'm loving the decor in the lounge area where we're sitting at the minute. Just had a little sneak peek into the the Pen and Cobb restaurant. Looks very nice. And, uh, Will, you've had a lovely bit of cake. I'm going to out you with having cake. I have. I'm uh, making the most of the facilities, but uh, I can confirm it was good cake. Um, there's more on the menu than that. But, um, yeah, it's a very Decent nice size. spot. A very nice spot. And I think it's uh, been continued the renovation, is it? I think, around the corner. So, looks nice. And, Dean, you, you would have lovely ladies in your life. Uh, your mother, for instance, you would bring her here on a festive night and, and treat her to a bit of festivity? Oh, for sure. Uh, probably uh, That's probably going to be a Christmas present. So hopefully she's not listening. The pressure's on now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, let's get down to business and let's talk a little bit of rugby. Um, And let's talk about the weekend. Uh, Ed, I'll start with you. Um, A great, in a way, a really great performance for the Blues. Perhaps not the result. Was it a case of could have, would have, should have last Saturday against Newcastle Falcons? I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Obviously, I wasn't playing uh, Peter ankle injury, but it was nice to watch everything unfold and the pressure that we were building in the first half was um, immense actually. Um, It's just a shame that we didn't get any points from that uh, period of pressure. I think if we had gone in and even with an extra try, um, it is a very, very difficult um, to defend the slope in the second half. However, we felt like I reckon 10 points buffer would have been a lot lot better for us. Well, you were out there um, steering the ship I'll say. Um, were there moments in the game that you felt, ah, we didn't quite get what we should have done? <sighs> yes, I mean, it was, uh, conditions were pretty tough. I mean, it's about steering a ship. We might as well build an ark out there with the amount of rain we're having at the moment. <laughs> so um, it's, uh, it was difficult. Um, and I think ultimately looking back, in hindsight, you could have thought maybe we could have taken an extra three here and there. But I think when, to be fair, um, with uh, the line-out, the boys were very strong up front. I think the all looked very strong. There was a yellow card at some point. There was another incident which I thought might have warranted a, another card. And I think we just, you know, I think Newcastle hated life down in that bottom corner of uh, Goldington Road. So it was, it was nice to sort of really keep them down there. And 
I think like Tails has said, it would have been nice to just come away with a try in that first half. I think that would have ultimately put us in a really, really good position. And before we come to you, Dean, a sandwich has arrived for Ed Taylor. <laughs> How is that sandwich? What is it? It's going down well, actually. Um, coronation chicken. Oh, they're looking Beautiful after sandwich. us really well, aren't they? On bloomer bread. Um, <laughs> <laughs> seems like salted crisp and a bit of coleslaw. It's lovely. Oh, very good. Oh. Um, Dean... Lovely to have you back out in anger on the pitch. But from the sidelines, um, would you agree? Uh, would a side like Newcastle Falcons, or should I say, actually, maybe I can put it like this. Did Newcastle Falcons hate coming to Goldington Road last uh, Saturday? And is that how you want every team to come to Goldington Road? Is that, is, that, is that the fortress now that we want? No, I think it's, uh, it's been a big thing over the last few years. We've tried to make... Uh, Golden Road a bit of a fortress and definitely then big teams we've had some close games big teams that come down from the Prem we've had some close games with them before I remember Bristol coming down and we were rattling a few feathers there so I think we've rattled them again I remember Dean Richards I think it was on Sky saying that he was nervous about this game no club, no team wants to come to Bedford and face the hill we know it better than anyone else we know the slope better than anyone else so I think it was a good performance but we'll take away some positives um, Obviously, Will alluded to the weather at the moment, and uh, but so we just got to carry on really and keep keep battering down the hatches and keep going. This is Grill with Will. Twenty questions with Ryan Hutler. Nickname? Um, Iron Man. Position? Wing. Left or right? Uh, right. Light blue or dark blue? Uh, light blue. Flowers or chocolates? Uh, chocolates. Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. In or out? Out. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Hugs or kisses? Kisses. Bits or no bits? No bits. Ruck or mool? Uh, ruck. Xbox or PlayStation? Xbox. Martin Johnson or Johnny Wilkinson? Johnny Wilkinson. Red or brown? Red. Deal or no deal? Deal. Christmas or birthday? Christmas. Morning or evening? Evening. Nike or Adidas? Nike. One on one, Mike or Deborah? Mike. Let's get, I was going to say, back to Ed, I'll come back to you, Will, because he's got a mouthful of coronation chicken, I don't want to disturb him. Uh, Will, how important, therefore, having done what we did last weekend, is this weekend and consolidating it, or even building on that? Yeah, well, again, Dean's alluded to it again about the weather, I think it's not going to exactly be too pretty uh, up in Nottingham, um, particularly with the rain they've had this week. So we can actually take a lot of the things we learned from the Newcastle game and, and build it into that uh, into Sunday at, at the Lady Bay. Um, I, I think for, for everyone, it's obviously it's not been the start of the season that, that us as a team and as a club we would have wanted. Um, but you know, there's there's still sort of I guess um, combinations still working each other out. Um, I know that might see that sound a little bit you know, come on, it's November now, but that is still happening and. When the conditions are hard, you can come up against a really good side, the likes of Newcastle. Doncaster away was tough, and, and the boys have played Ealing as well, which was another tough game. So, a bit of self-belief, and also just learning the lessons. Um, it's amazing how just, I, I kind of believe that one good performance, even sort of a half good performance that can re- lead to a result, I, re- I reckon will really kick us on. Um, Ed, we alluded there to the, uh, to the weather. Um, we're entering the time of year where the forward pack really needs to earn its corn. Agreed? Yeah, no, you're not wrong. And I think our line-out's been going really well. Um, our defensive line-out's probably the best in the league at the minute. 
Um, we've got Jordan's left left arm that we call the claw, just stealing <laughs> lineouts left, right, and Chelsea. So that's it's going really well. And Temi's leading um, the analysis uh, with Tree, myself, and um, Razors doing a great job on a Monday. Jordan and Cuzzer. So there's there's about six people that can call there. That's all driving the um, standards of of our lineouts. Um, I think it's just we've got some youngsters in in our front row, and it's. Going, it's coming. To, it's coming to fruition, really, because um, you've got Sean McCarthy. Penny's injured at the minute, but what they're doing is really helping these guys out. Whilst they're on, whilst Penny's on the sideline, he's taking Henry, Henry to one side, Andrew Boyer to one side to talk through where, where they're going right in the scrum, where they're going wrong in the scrum, and then the last two weeks, I mean, we we dished up, we pretty much dished up. Um, who was it? Don, Don, Don Costa. Um, and it was yeah, it was great to see um, young young forward pack doing so well. Let's move on a little bit and just bring a little bit of focus on Will because it has been a while. Let's talk about the Rugby World Cup and perhaps almost coming back into Bedford. First and foremost, I know you've been asked this question a million times, but j- just what was it like out there? Indeed, uh, the, the journey back to uh, to Championship Rugby and, and the rain. <laughs> yeah, uh, look. Just in terms of the coming back, you can start with that actually first. It's um, it's been really it's been challenging. Uh, it's, I'm not going to lie, it's been hard. Um, you know, I, I came back after the World Cup with a little bit of niggle in my shoulder, which I had to get rehabbed, and that that was good for a little part. But then, sort of into it with a, a few days of training, and then Doncaster away. It rained hard that day. Then we got Newcastle at home. It rained even harder that day. So it's not exactly ideal when you've been playing sort of summertime rugby. And then, Indoors. You know, yeah, in some cases. Although the humidity, to be honest, sometimes is just as bad. But um, but look, I, it's, it's great to be back with the boys. This group, you know, we lost a few key personnel from last year. There's no doubt about that. Um, but the uh, the characters we've got in the, in the group is fantastic. And I do believe that will do us um, a lot of good. Um, but at the same time, yeah, for me personally, it's just to just settling myself back into it, um, which is, I thought would maybe be easier than it has been. Can I just say that also, we've we've been missing a voice, I feel, but we've had people stepping in at fly half, if we're honest. So it's really nice, With it's coming at the time where Limo's coming back from his concussion injury as well, Sam Leeming that is. And it's really nice to have you back and really bossing the boys about bossing standards that you've picked up from the World Cup. Um, and I think I think that's yeah. If if we're honest, it's true. It's something that we probably need in training. We're on fifteen on fifteen sessions now with two fly halves, and it's it's good to have such a key position back. So my question was, what have you brought back with you from a rugby perspective? Mm. What has Will Hooley brought back that you are now giving <laughs> to the Bedford Blues? And that and that might not be a particular thing. It might be an ethos. It might be an idea. Is there anything that you particularly learnt out there? Uh, it's you know, rugby's rugby at the end of the day. So the lads, the, the lads know what's going on here at the Blues. There's not no point in me coming in and kind of kind of reinventing the wheel. Um, I think what you realise is just like at that level is that it's such fine margins. So therefore, you know, you, the detail of what you want to do, whether it's attack and defence, uh, just whatever the tactical game is, you need to know your detail. You need to know your role. Um, if I can hopefully try and bring that back slowly, it's not going to just happen straight away into into our setup. Then I think that hopefully will help. Um, but as I sort of stressed before, I'm, I'm kind of in my own battle in my head. I'm just you know it's a, it's 
not a come down. It's hard to say it because it sounds disrespectful, but it is a come down as such. And I am just trying to, you know, sort out getting back into into the into the championship environment. But I know that, you know, if if I can do it as soon as possible and, and get my head right, then hopefully I can perform well, and and hopefully the team can perform well. But like Ed's alluded to, I think the boys are in a good place. The pack is looking really strong now, which I'm really impressed about the last couple of weeks. We've got the likes of Dean, who's just literally come back from injury, which will help a lot. Um, so there's not really too much I can say I can bring back as such, but maybe just that bit of detail in, in our organisation. Speaking to Will um, after he came back from the World Cup, he uh, mentioned something like um, that if you make a mistake at that level, um, you're under the six, conceding seven points. So I was just going to ask Will, sort of, who was the best player you played at at the World Cup? I think, obviously, playing against England in that first game was uh, pretty amazing, although bloody hard, um, quite literally, physically, <laughs> especially by the end of it. Um, so I think that, that England team led superbly by George Ford, just his level consistency, literally, it seemed like he had the ball on, on a piece of string, but kind of what I had said to Dean before, we had discussed, um, kind of at that level, if you are... You just need to be a little bit wrong and it can be so costly. We experienced that as a team, unfortunately too many times, the US team, and cost us dearly, it costs, costs you World Cup games and like, you know, it's not do or die, but at the same time, like, it's, it's big, big matches, big occasions. And you look back at it and think, oh, what if? Um, and it's certainly something I, I've, I've learned and it's probably something that I, I need to work on since coming back, just like trying to force something, because um, you're wanting to be the difference, but at the same time, realising that if you cut your mistakes out, the chances are that you'll, you'll just do better. I mean, that's pretty obvious to say. But yeah, I think George Ford was just the one who had the, the most amount of consistency and looked so good. On that point then, if your mistakes are such high tariff, if there's such a weight on the negative side of the game, how do you get your head round mm. playing positively? Because surely on an international stage you do want to play positively you don't want to be thinking about making mistakes so how do you approach that yeah it's a, it's a really good question because you know you're told as a kid you know don't be afraid of making mistakes and you shouldn't be um, I think it's just a realisation when you when you kind of get to that standard of game that um, all your preparation in the week is to enable you to be in a position that you're not going to make the mistakes you're not going to make the errors if that makes sense so people know in the roles I alluded to earlier um, and then actually from there, within that system, then go out and be yourself, go out and play, go out and, and try things if it's on. But it's the, the, the sort of the line of where the decision is right and decision is wrong is, is so, so thin. And unfortunately at that level, it's about results. There's no other way of saying it. Um, you know, you look at the England team, obviously in the final against South Africa, they, they probably look back and think they just made those crucial errors at crucial times or didn't have their process right, whether that was at scrum time or in the defence, and, it, and it's so costly, and you end up losing a World Cup in their, in their scenario. So I think that's the thing, is, is just the realisation that it's, it's okay to make errors, but you've got to try and keep them as down as, as least as possible. England played an incredible World Cup. Other than that final, which things didn't go right in, England played an incredible World Cup. Um, and we can't really talk about it, and I don't really want to talk about what's happened subsequently with Saracens and, and the whole English game being a problem, but I did want to allude to the fact that it's a real shame that things have got lost, because actually England had done incredibly well and were playing very good brand of rugby. 
I, I hope they don't lose that in the furore of everything that's happened subsequently. Would you agree? Yeah, 100%. I think the whole Saracens thing's sort of just taken the uh, sort of edge off the whole uh, tournament, really. And I think like, if you look back at it and go look at the semi-final, you probably say that England performance against New Zealand was probably the greatest ever rugby performance well, what I've seen on TV or what I've witnessed, that was probably the greatest ever I agree, yeah. um, rugby performance. I mean, from minute um, from minute one to minute eighty, they were unbelievable. This like not take that away. And in the final, things didn't go their way, and that's rugby. Sometimes on on a day, on a finals, it get, nerves get the better of people. But I just think on that day, it was just not England's day. And, and that's for rugby for you at the end of the day. But yeah. And I know you've got Welsh roots, and yeah. therefore probably look at England <laughs> in is, a slightly nice different way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you, you nodded then, and and I think a lot of people in the world will have accepted that what happened in the semi-final was very special. Mm. Is Eddie Jones's job now just as hard? because of what happened subsequently to him. I mean, he's going to have to work really hard from a man management point of view to get them back, because if they've almost reached that top, fallen off it, that's going to be difficult, isn't it? Just from a man management point of view. I mean, yeah. you saw the players uh, on Jonathan Ross. I don't know if you saw the Yeah, clip, it's good but fun, actually, they wasn't looked, it? Yeah, but they looked defeated. You know, they looked gutted. Yeah. And, and that's going to be a really tough ask for England and, and Eddie Jones. It's about getting momentum again. He got momentum at the right time. They obviously had a tricky patch in 2018. It's going to be very difficult to get the boys up. There's going to have to be a bit of a cull, if you like, of potentially some lads that might be good in the next two years but might not be great in four years. But it will be very hard and very demotivating to start off with. But I think you soon forget about that and then you think, right, OK, now it's France 2023. Um, I think the other thing to... If I was the RFU, I don't really know why he's only got a two-year contract. If, if you invest in Eddie in two years, you kind of want it to be yeah. a four-year. And Clive Woodward's reign, he was brilliant because he had a long stint with the team. And um, in my opinion, that's that's basically what, what they should do. The hard thing, I think, for people obviously just watching it is realising and, and oh gee it broke me seeing some of those news headlines about when they were taking off their runners up medals and apparently that's disrespectful it's just like it's been, yeah it's how passionate and most of those people who've wrote those things have never been in those positions so anyway but it's more the fact that <laughs> premiership final someone loses a premiership final or someone you know unfortunately doesn't get promoted from the championship for example this season there's another opportunity next year four years is a very very long time and in four years time Tales has already alluded to, some guys won't be there for various reasons, whether they've retired, whether they've moved on, whether they've gone abroad, this, that and the other injuries. And it's the feeling that that, that one opportunity was there. And mm. I, even personally, I sort of feel gutted to have been not very successful as, as a side, that we predicted that we would be more successful. So I can only imagine losing a World Cup final is just sort of... Those guys must be distraught, and then the realization that it's just another it's four more years away, and there'll be a lot of building, a lot of rebuilding to do. But England are in a very good position as well because you do look at the crux of all that team, and it's 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 a very young and very strong, talented side. I I, I really do think they've got the best squad going forward for the next World Cup at the moment with the youngsters they've got. I also um, think though that you need to bring fresh faces in. Yeah, I think they will need to be bring fresh races in, especially for the Six Nations, just to give it a bit of a fresh start, let, let them other players sort of have that their time off and 
go away with some fresh players. So I'm talking the likes of Benel, who's tearing up for Saracens at the moment. Um, yeah. Just some young guys in that team that who will be hungry, so they'll try and bring the standards up even more. That's the only Get way. Tom I Tom Curry's brother in. <laughs> the curry double. That's not Ollie. Everyone loves a double curry. <laughs> A little bit uh, early on this week, I managed to catch up with Jamie Bain. Uh, he was at the club and uh, we talked uh, all things strength and conditioning. Well, here I am in the, uh, in the soul of Bedford Blues, right? In the deep, dark offices, right in the middle. I've managed to find a man who I've been quite keen to speak to uh, because um, he's, um, he's pretty much integral to the way that this uh, club operates. Jamie Bain is with me. He's, uh, he's in charge of uh, strength and conditioning. Is that, is, is, that, is, that, is that the correct name for it nowadays? I don't know. Sometimes it changes. Jamie, thank you very much for being here. Um, let's get straight into it. Um, how does your role sort of work? What, what would you say, if you could sum up your job in a couple of sentences, what, what, what do you do? Oh, God, I couldn't do it in a couple of sentences. <laughs> it's way too much. No, I, I think... Uh, the the main thing is looking after the guy's physical well-being um whether that's um performance related or injury prevention and things like that so everything off the rugby pitch essentially i'm i'm in charge of making sure they're they're training appropriately um and then kind of guiding the coaches in terms of what we do on the rugby pitch so it's improving their performance in the matches as well a lot of people will associate strength and conditioning with pre-season, getting the boys into shape to start. But of course, that is only half the battle. You've got to look after them and you've got to look after them when they're injured. So let's get straight into this in, in, in a sense of how, how you or what role you take within that. So if a player is injured, um, obviously the medics and, and the physios are, are there in the first instance. Um, when do you get involved as, as regards sort of rehabilitation? Well, yeah, obviously the, the physios and the medics <clears throat> do a massive job and obviously early on in the, the injury they're, they're kind of leading it, so to speak. But that doesn't mean I'm not involved, involved straight away because my biggest thing with injuries is kind of trying to put a positive on it and I would say you focus on what you can do, not what you can't do. So obviously if you've got a lower limb injury, there's tons of things you can't do with your lower body. But, you know, there's still we, it's a time where we can focus on things that pain and training and you know getting the knocks from contact and things like that um so we try and focus on that and um you can make good gains in those as well and kind of come back better at those than you were before that that's the way i kind of like to look at it and and that's good from the physical standpoint but also mentally that they've got something to focus on and they're not they're not stressed about not being able to do things and like i said just because your right leg's injured doesn't mean you can't still do some stuff on your left mm-hmm. um, and it's yeah just trying to find everything we can do to to get them back quicker but also back better than they were before essentially how much of your role i mean obviously you talk a lot there about the, the, the physical well-being and all of that but how, how much of your intervention and how much of the players how much do the players need you mentally um i, I wouldn't like to say need me but i i'd hope i have a positive impact on that side of things um i'm a big believer in you get your environment right first and everything else you know, as long as it makes sense, takes care of itself. Um, and yeah, I like to think I try and, or I add to that environment. Uh, the coaches are, are really good with that. And, you know, they understand how to, you know, um, pitch things to the players. And, and I hope that in terms of the gym stuff, I do the same. And then I believe we get that right. We get more out of them. Um, but especially when you're injured, it's, it's tough. I say it's pretty, pretty dark place to be, especially with long-term injuries. Um, you know, looking at months out, you know, just watching the boys train and I know it's painful, you know, 
been through it myself and watching boys train and playing and you want to be there. Um, so yeah, just try and make it as, as fun and be as positive with them as, as possible. As regards time to come back, who who's in charge of the amount of time that a player is out? I know it sounds strange to say in charge of, but but how how is that decided? Because I mean, many people won't know. Um, kind of a lot of variables in there. I mean, depending on the injury and and whether they've been operated and things. Like, obviously, if they have, the surgeon will then give some sort of indication of return to play. Um, but then obviously the the, the physios then sort of take the next um, have the next greatest amount of control in it. And then it, it also depends on the player because sometimes we put these numbers on, you know, dates and target games and, you know, sometimes maybe we're a bit ambitious, sometimes, well, hopefully more often than not we get them back early. That's that's always the plan. And it's surprising what what guys can actually do when you kind of, there's some injuries, think, oh, they won't be able to do this or that. And they actually get back to that quite quickly and, and that's always a good thing. So it's it's always and the physios agree with this, it's it's always treating the the athlete or the player more than just the injury because you just chuck a standard, you know, twelve week injury on it. You actually find that some of them recover quickly. You know, everyone's different. Um that being said, sometimes it's a little bit longer and that's frustrating, but that's when we've got to try and um still get them back in as good shape as possible. How much emphasis is on the player to get back? I mean, because I'm assuming a lot of their um, rehabilitation is is kind of down to how seriously they want to do it. I know, obviously, every professional rugby player should do it, but obviously there's going to be an element of, and I don't want to name names, but there's going <laughs> to be an element of, of the fact that it, it, it does come from within. Oh, yeah, massively. And, and it's always, you know, I quite, one of my enjoyable jobs is on a on a match day when you get a player back from injuries go up shake his hand and saying you know it's good to have you back because you know they've been through that that dark period of time and and they have put the effort in and worked really hard and and essentially yeah like you say we we kind of guide them and especially in our environment we don't have you know as as many sort of hands-on hours as you do at other clubs it's there's a lot of onus on them to do those extra things out of hours which you know they've got access to the gym and in Bedford and, and they'll go in and they'll do their extra, you know, whether it's recovery or stretching and things like that. Um, so yeah, they, they've got um, a lot of responsibility, but they're, you know, not, without naming names, they're, they're all pretty good. <laughs> I, I always want to dig down and find out who's worse, but I won't. <laughs> uh, I'll leave that to uh, the listener's imagination. Um, as, as regards uh, operating here at Bedford than, than perhaps some other clubs that you've been involved in, um, I, I'm assuming um, it, it comes with its own challenges, does it? Yeah, um, like I said, you know, not having that time that you, you might want, but what it forces us to do is be a lot more kind of efficient with the time we do have. Um, and, you know, my experience at other clubs, um, sometimes, you know, we've probably used too much time with them, you know, just because we, we had it. Um, and it's you can't treat rugby like a nine to five job because it's so physical. If you did, they'd be in pieces. And I've maybe been at places again, won't mention any names, but where we probably pushed it too far, and um, you know we didn't get the the most out of the players. So what we've got here is you know we we try and sell it as we're in for a short period of time, and it's high intensity, as close to game, game sort of uh, scenarios as we can, uh, and that will prepare us well for for rugby. I mentioned pre-season a little bit earlier. That is a big mainstay, a big focus of yours. Um, how important is a, a good pre-season for the remainder of the season, if you like? Yeah, massively important, whether it's just, you know, for 
getting the intensity of training up, getting the the load into the legs so they're prepared for the for the full season. Um, it's kind of a misconception that in season you just try and maintain what you're doing, but we've always got to keep trying to improve on on things where we can. But the, you know, there's recent research come out showing that there's a 50% higher chance of getting injured if you haven't gone through that pre-season so it's it's massively important from an injury prevention point of view as well so yeah it's um it's also why we have such a focus on getting the guys who are coming back into into training who've missed that pre-season of having really good return to play and, and we kind of push them hard so it's almost over and above what they need to do to train so then they don't have those injuries later on. And one last question, I'll, I'll let you go, you're a busy man, but um, how much of your job is about reinventing things and coming up with new ways of doing stuff? Because I can imagine that season after season, um, there's only so many ways that you can find to, to get players' fitness up. Yeah, definitely. Like, rugby's a, a simple game, ultimately, and, and yeah, it changes over the years, but it's, it's still the same you know, same 15 men on 15. It's, uh, and the human body hasn't changed for thousands of years, so you know it's it's the balance of keeping those basics in there um and it's the same with the rugby training that the coaches do they've got to keep the basics of tackling passing um set piece in there but trying to trying to make it you know not necessarily entertain but keep the guys enthused because if you do the same session every time it's going to be boring and and I have the same in the gym um we're still doing you know the big basics um and it's just trying to tweak those in ways that are, are slightly more uh, entertaining, enthusing, interesting, just anything to keep the guys, you know, the motivation for training because it's such a long season, you know, we need to focus on that sort of thing as well. And just as an add-on, just because I thought about it right now, there'll be many listeners to this Blues podcast who might be looking to get fit and get themselves out there. As a piece of advice, is it, is it about trying to find something that you enjoy as well as getting you fit? Does that make sense? Yeah, Sam, and I think this question is for yourself, Sam. Yeah, is, you yeah, don't carry on. on. I, this, I, I usually <laughs> have to pay for this sort of thing, but I thought I'd use the Blues podcast as a screen to find out. <laughs> yeah, uh, like there's an old saying, the best form of exercise is the one you'll do. So if it's one you enjoy, then then that's that's what you will continue to do and you'll stick doing it You know, when, when it gets dark and, and wet in the winter. Um, and that's why people tend to do you know, sports because they're, you know, a bit more fun, there's a bit more social side of them as well. So if you find something that's got, you know, a bit of camaraderie as well and, and fun and you enjoy, you, you're going to stick at it. So definitely recommend that type of thing. Well, Jamie Bain there talking uh, quite in depth about his role. Um, Ed, it's, um, it's, it's a difficult role, isn't it? Sort of not only pre-season, as he alluded to there, talking about all the way through the season, keeping you boys in check and getting you back on the pitch should you have any time away from it. Mm. Uh, Jamie Bain does a really good job. Um, I'm sure Mike won't mind me saying this, but he almost becomes the main man in pre-season. Mike takes a step back, but although we get our ball in, ball in the hand a lot and we introduce plays when Mike comes in, but it's all about trying to get those fitness bases and it's it's Jamie's pre-season to organise, so he's doing all this. Um, trying to cater for every individual he, he's getting let's say I think it was about was it 10 new faces this year maybe more so they're getting 10 and with academy lads more so you've got all these new faces you have to get to grips with know their strengths weaknesses with their strength and conditioning and create plans to um, uh, according to that um, I think at, at the same time we've um, we take a lot of onus on ourselves post pre-season because we know how much he's got to take on we have some interns that come in that help here and there but we really do have to take onus on ourselves we're in three days a week we've got to 
make sure that we're staying on top of it. I mean, Dean will allude to it later. Um, he stays on top of it all the time. But on our days off is uh, some boys do Pilates. Um, some guys do extra gym sessions if that's what they need to do, extra fitness session. And it's, it's all sort of, you have to drive that if you're a Bedford Blues player. Um, and then they will more than happy facilitate it to, to a very, very good standard. Will, have you always been a good trainer? Have you always been somebody who <laughs> worked hard in training? I know that sounds like, it's, a, it's not a loaded question. I don't know anything. It's purely a question. Are you someone that trains well naturally? Or do you have to have people shouting? You lose your head quite a lot. I'm like the Pacific Islander. I'm just chilled all the time. No, no. I think I think it's one of those natural things. You lose your head the most. If you're if you're a fly off that you um, you know you, you think about the game a lot, quite literally in the week. And under good didn't he thought about food as much yeah, as he did the game. But um, no, I just I, you. you you think about it a lot and therefore you throw yourself up at the sport a lot I think that's just natural of a fly off I don't think it's anything in particular of myself or you know I'm sure Sam Leeming would be exactly the same I'm sure every other championship premiership fly Jake Sharp Jake Sharpie <laughs> absolutely <laughs> well you know Sharpie Sharpie to be fair I mean Sharpie you know I absolutely so much credit for Sharpie because he just loves the game Yeah, he's doing so well at the moment with coaching at, um, at Northampton I don't know if we should say that I know Northampton's not Bedford's favourite club but um He's doing so. He he is a great example. You talk about like just hard working, like for for the game and just his passion for it. He's doing so well as an academy role at Northampton. So yeah, naturally us tens, we um, I like to think we we train pretty hard. Now I'm going to talk about a big part of um, Jamie Bain's role in strength and conditioning is bringing people back. And unfortunately, there is somebody who has been away from the game. Uh, enforced because of injury for a while, uh, sitting to my right, Dean Adamson. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts when you get injured like you did, and, and you were given some of the um, some of the timings, uh, some of the lengths of time away from the game? What what goes through your mind? Are, are there my thought or my guess about it is that there's stages. There are things that happen that you're positive, not so positive, really negative. I mean, is that how it works? Like stages of grief almost that you sort of go through. Would that, would that be about right? Yeah, definitely. I'll, t- I'll sort of take you back to um, May. I think it was, we had the end of season dinner and I knew I was going in for my first operation the week after on the Thursday. But I'd, I had a scan, I think it was the day before the end of season dinner on my shoulder because my shoulder was giving me a bit of jip and a, a stuff. And then I got the results two days before I was going into the, my first hip operation because I knew I was getting two hip operations. And they said, yeah, you've got two, uh, two label tears in your uh, shoulder. You're going to have to have another one. And then I, I just thought to myself, am I ever going to get back to playing rugby with three operations next season? Can I, can I ask, actually, did you, this genuine, because I don't know, I didn't see you in the summer as such, but did you think, like, am I going to actually get back playing? That sounds quite dark, but... Uh, there was at times then I thought like, I thought literally I thought like you'd you'd hit such a low point and you'd you sort of be like, well, is this worth it? Do you know what I mean? You'd be like, I know it's such a short career and and is is it worth like wrecking sort of that sort of short career just for something like that? But it was no, I mean I mean like when it when I got them results back, it was it was pretty heart destroying. But then I had a phone call from Mike saying. Um, just don't worry about it. Like, 
you'll be all right. You've had many a pre-season. I think this was actually like my 10th pre-season at the club, including my academy. So he was like, you've done many a pre-season before, so it's not to worry. It's one of those things and, and I'm sure you'll come back faster. So, so sort of little things like that sort of help your, help your brain. Um, as you alluded to the uh, sort of swings and roundabouts of uh, injury rehab, yeah, so definitely it's sort of, you get peaks and troughs, a bit like the stock market, just hopefully not as volatile. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, you got a first in his degree, by the way. Yeah, cheers. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's one of those things. And I think having lads around you is very key. So I had um for because we weren't actually in for the first sort of six weeks after my ops so i was sort of on the sofa had all the ice machines on me like every two hours and then had to go back in for the next one two weeks later and then another one two weeks after that so in my six weeks we had off i was just in rehab um and i had rich who didn't go away on holiday he was ferrying me around picking me up coming around taking me for here there everywhere so he was a bit of a Knight in shining armour in that case, and um, I should say that Dean does still live at home. Which <laughs> obviously, you know, bless his poor mum and dad. But um, Judy, Judy you, Adamson if, deserves a shout If you're going to have a long-term injury, then it's quite a good thing you live at home. Is yeah, it the Adamson yeah. Rehab Centre now? Yeah, no, we did have a room <laughs> in the well, we did have a room in the house that has an ice machine uh, and all this and a watt bike and loads of other things, so I could. Uh, so I could firmly get onto my rehab. You make light of it, but that does sound as though you have to be really quite strict on yourself in those early stages, and that in itself must be a challenge. Yeah, that was that was the hardest thing, I think. Um, I had to... It's, it's a bit sad, But, like, rehab, you normally do, like... Sort of, you do a bit of rehab, then you do some weights. So, say, if I had a lower body injury... I do upper body weights and I could then hammer my upper body and you'll get loads of gains off your upper body. But I didn't have that. I could, I, I was doing rehab for both areas. So I was very much doing rehab for my lower limb, doing rehab for my upper limb. So I was constantly like day by day, lowers, uppers, lowers, uppers. And I mean, and like no, no word of a lie, it was six, seven days a week. It was relentless. Like there was no day off. I think I spent. I can vouch for that as well. He was always in Towers Gym. Yeah, plug. On the Towers. Uh, yeah. It was it was real relentless sort of stuff. Which, and I think that was the hardest thing. It was getting yourself up to go. Oh, mum, can I have a lift to the gym, please? And can you pick me up at such and such because I'm going to be there. So there I am, crutching into like on my crutches into Towers to then just lie down on the mat and do some like gentle rehab then for my mum to pick and wait for my mum to pick me up and sort of stuff like that so that was the sort of hard time because rugby is a team sport mm. and it's about being getting that buzz from a team yeah and what you're talking about is a million miles away from that oh yeah definitely it was I mean but I had boys as I said like I had boys around me that were like helping me and constantly like here so like Rich would take me here or I'd then after the six weeks we were in pre-season and um, I what, had what was that like when, when pre-season happened because obviously then the boys are coming all back together again oh, did no. you did you feel a pinch then? Yeah no definitely um, I loved it my mum even admitted to me like I loved just being around being around the boys whether that was just in the gym and then I'd go out and watch them do pre-season and in the sunshine, it was quite nice getting a suntan in the sunshine while them boys were running about. Naturally as well, man. Yeah, natural Usually suntan. you're usually you make a little trip to the old, uh, the old, the old bed, so it's yeah. good that, wasn't it? No, yeah, it was lovely. Um, but no, uh, I also had 
uh, Ed Colson, who had his shoulder up the same day as me, so we spent the night together in uh, Northampton Free Shires Hospital. That's cute, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so we spent the night there, but I mean, injuries happen, and it, it was my first sort of injury in my sort of professional career. I've never had one net touch wood, I didn't, or, or anything. I've never had an uh, injury in that before, so it was a sort of an alert, alarming thing. And um, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's all good now. I'm back. Do you, as players around someone like Dean, I know you you weren't about, you had other things on, but you know you've been around it before. Are, are you aware? Do you sort of mention it to each other and say, look, we need to go and go around his house and pick him up and and take him out because. Do you look after that? Is that is that something you talk about? I think it doesn't matter what level you are. Particularly, it doesn't even have to be in professional sport. Any t- team environment is the camaraderie that you can get off your teammates and just the positive vibes you get off your teammates. Because I think probably Dean kind of has alluded to, it's not just the physical well-being, it's a mental well-being. And you kind of I'd live... That's most important. Yeah, yeah. You, you, live, you live and breathe this game uh, in whatever capacity... Therefore, we do get hit as something, and, and Dean's scenario, we must say, I'm sure everyone was very aware, but it was no normal injury to have two hip operations and then also shot. I've never heard of it. So I think for his side of things, mentally getting to the other side, light at the end of the tunnel, there's probably times where they didn't think there was any light at the end of the tunnel. So it could just be like Laney giving him a lift or inviting him around for coffee or whatever it might be. I know that would do so much to a player, good things to a player mentally. And that mental thing of being positive there can help you physically and being like, yeah, I'm going to go into the gym again, I'm going to rehab, I'm going to, I'm going to have a nice time, have co- do you see what I mean? So it's like kind of like that cycle, which I think is so important. And we're lucky in sport, we're lucky certainly in our rugby environment, both in men's and women's, that everyone gets around each other. And um, you know, if you're in the same team, you're not going to let your, your, your mates suffer. And hopefully that's what we, we sort of uh, gave to Dean. Yeah. Is professional rugby sounds a strange way to, or a strange sentence to say but is professional rugby kind of about how you get through injury <coughs> because because it, it kind of must happen to everyone unless you're Paul Tupai and a freak of some sort of you know nature <laughs> where you, only, you might yeah. uh, sprain your thumb you know in, in 27 years of rugby I mean there's it will happen to you he inflicted a few injuries though, didn't he? <laughs> he did <laughs> <laughs> um, so is, it, is professional rugby about how you manage your way through uh, injury. It's a little bit like saying to a golfer, it's not how good your good shots are, it's how good your bad shots yes. are. Is, is that kind of what it is? No, you're right. I, I think you'd be very, very, very lucky if you're someone like Paul Tupai that's got to the, into his 40s without a shoulder up, a hip up. Not even an operation, just, I mean, I, I touch wood, haven't had anything major other than a two-month MCL injury last year. And you do feel, I think, Dean, you do feel lonely, but and sometimes when you are sitting by yourself in your flat in your house that's when you're, you sort of feel down it's when you're with all the guys that or girls that you sort of your, your motivation comes back again you see them at training and uh, and I think going back to Jamie Bain and the physios and if they've got good vibes and the interns or whoever it is that's helping you out if they're sending loads of good energy and there's a couple of you that might be injured then you help each other out and I, th- I thought like Dean was very professional with how he get, got back and prob- didn't go on holiday throughout the whole summer. Um, but then the, uh, you could go the other direction um, and be like, oh, why I'm not playing for nine months? Well, let's just drink beer and eat 
badly. And but then you, that's that's when you need to get around someone and say, right, come on, let's get you um, let's get you back training, enjoying it again. Um, I don't think you should be boring, but you should definitely take it seriously. It's tough. It is tough. I think the biggest thing that I learned was like setting yourself small goals. So every week I'd set myself a goal to be better than last week. So that was the biggest thing that in my head I was like, and then I celebrated it somehow, whether that pack of Oreos or like Ooh, something, yeah. or like something like that. Three games of FIFA. Yeah, something like that. And then at the end of it, I now sort of treasure rugby a lot more than what I did before. Like I'm more grateful to play that I've had it. It sounds a bit stupid, but I'm more grateful to play now that I've had a long-term injury than what I was before. Because now I think, well, I could not be here. I, well, there's a possibility that I might not have been here and might not have been able to play again. So you know, I'm here and I'm back on the field. Can I talk about um, getting back onto the field? Because <laughs> am I right in thinking that there must have been, however well you've trained to get yourself back into there and however good things feel, there must just be flashes in your brain of... Oh, I wonder if this is going to go as well. Yeah, I think I think you obviously train for a few weeks so you can sort of get to know your body and what it's going to be like, but there's nothing like a game. When everyone says, oh, oh, you've trained for like how many months or whatever, there's nothing like a game. So that sort of first, I think it was against Newcastle, the first thing I had to do was kick, chase and tackle. So uh, I remember going up and trying to tackle this guy and then I think from there though, then you just, after that one action, you're straight into it and it literally becomes natural again and then you start thinking Thank about it <laughs> and then you start thinking about it but it's going to take a little bit of time maybe to get up to game speed I mean my last game was Nottingham at home last game of the season was that mm. last game of the season? I yeah, think so it was yeah Nottingham that was my last game before that so it was um, so no it will be interesting but it's uh, it's one of those things you just sort of get to speed get to game speed and you'll be up and running again and then Julio will be feeding me the ball, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully so. <laughs> Look, can I just say, surely your concussion coming back from that though, mm. that was that would be a lot. You'd be thinking about it a lot more than me, with just a shoulder or two hips. Like the hips isn't like like a injury and a shoulder like fixed, and you know it, you've done tackling and training. Surely a head mm. in game, someone running at you full on coming back from a head injury is a lot worse than any other injury. You're not wrong. I mean, you, obviously there's still protocols, isn't there? Yeah. I know, I through. agree. But there's nothing no. like someone running at you. No, no, not at all. And I think you just said that as well. It's, to, it's an element of how you know that you're fine. As in you've trained, you've done bits of contact, whether it be sort of controlled or whatever, um, and you feel good good to go and then it's a matter of like as soon as you're in the arena then you switch into rugby mode I mean look for me actually that was the day that I decided to wear a scrum hat and it, scrum hats could, do they stop concussions no they don't if it's a confidence thing but it was a confidence yeah. thing it was just yeah. like, like if I could just stay away well, you, from like you, you elbow see, or knee you see the um, the guys coming back from knee injuries don't you and, and they and they go out massively strapped yeah, and you yeah. talk to them and they say Oh no, it's this is just confidence. It's, yeah, it's nothing to do yeah. with the you know. It's, this isn't it's holding me together. It is just yeah, about getting the confidence to get back out there and mm. almost tricking yourself into it. Yeah, it's definitely part of that. I think it's almost yeah, you're always going to have that little bit of you, that little one percent. that's just a bit like ah, oh, 
gosh, this is going to be tough. Or oh, I don't know about stepping off my left because I've had an ankle roll months before. Or yeah, or if you head injury, you think right, I've got to get my shoulders the right way because I don't want to have my head smacking a knee again. But then as soon as you overthink and stuff like that, then that's when problems do happen. But equally, you just don't in the heat of the moment, like you've said. Mm. You just crack on. Mm. I'm going to end with something completely different. Okay, and it's a question, and it's going to hopefully lighten the mood because I feel as though we've got <laughs> yeah, a little bit dark, heavy. isn't it? A little yeah, bit yeah. heavy. It's November <laughs> darkness, it's dark outside. I'm going to my comfy seat at the Swan Hotel. Oh, dear. <laughs> have your name on it very shortly. Uh, a completely different question, something a bit weird. Uh, I'm going to go round individually, and you can all pass right. comment on the answer that the other person gives. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to give, put you in charge of world rugby individually, and I'm going to ask you to change one law. One law. You get to change one law in world first. rugby. Uh, who wants to go first? Not me. Um, the one ball I would say is the when the offensive mall goes to ground. <laughs> shock you're talking about balls. Yeah, shock. Um, it's the only thing we can do. We can't get the ball back, then it goes to the defending team. I don't really, as a scrum, I don't really know how you get around that and what you do instead. But it does frustrate, I know, a lot of people who are fans of the game that I know, they don't play it themselves. I, I weirdly understand it because it's the best of a bad situation. So wait, are you talking about when someone holds you up? Holds you, you and can, then like if someone holds you up, goes into the mall, and then it collapses, and then bodies someone, on someone can just lie on top of it. And them. then suddenly yeah. it's a scrum to that team that held you up. Yeah, and yeah, I've, I've been yeah. on the right side of it a lot. So when our teams have been on our own five metres, under, under loads of pressure, and then what we do is somehow dive, the, the ball goes to ground and we just dive on the floor manage, and then it's a scrum to the to us and we're hooping and wallowing Will Hooley kicks the corner next thing you know five man line out and we're off and away um, but so it can but I don't I don't know how we can come on I'm going to put you on the no come okay, up with something I'm gonna that change happens it. what does happen the referee just chucks the ball gets the ball chucks it back over his head and we restart I mean what happens <laughs> what happens the, I mean Bedford would enjoy that <laughs> let's be honest just go scrum to the attacking team but then the, the attacking team would just take it down if they're going dominant in scrum yeah it's, it's, it's so it's such a difficult rule it is the best out of a bad situation I what think would I, top <laughs> forward has to kick at goal yeah okay let's do that <laughs> That's, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> loose head, the loose head prop has to has to kick a goal. Drop kick in the 22, 15 metres from the touchline. Play on. Jouet. Right. right, Will Hooley, go on. What would you change in world rugby? We'll put you in charge of world rugby. What law goes? Well, very quickly, I agree with Tails's. Uh, there's a lot of the stuff that's been mentioned a moment about the substitutions and whether there should only be like maybe three subs used at a time. That's maximum. Basically mean that many more people on the pitch have to play 80 minutes, which means less heavier guys on the pitch, which means faster rugby, hopefully, all this, that, and whatever. You're way too professional. <laughs> That's, so there's all that. There's all that. I think maybe something like, you, you, you want to talk about like getting the ball in play, and, and this is going to kill front rowers, I know. They hate me for it. But, for example, there's like a knock-on. Instead of a knock-on going to scrum, knock-on just being a free kick to that team. So they could therefore, they could have the scrum if they so wanted, but they could also just tap and go. And therefore you're playing a game whereby, whereby you're basically saying, you're increasing people's handling, as in like, look, handling is very important because this can just suddenly turn on it. And you look at someone like Japan, obviously with their handling thing, it literally looked like they'd just been working it for years and it just was brilliant. And, and then equally, yeah, if you do make a mistake, then you're, not, it's not like you're getting penalised, but you have given the opportunity for your team just to go, 
obviously someone can play off of advantage of a knock-on, I know that, but like if the referee does blow it, ball has to go down on the opposition, and he can go free kick, tap, go, kick it, keep in play. Well, I like that. I like I've that. just seen hundreds of props coming to, <laughs> coming to throttle you. Joe Raptor has come flying in and yeah. saying no chance. Because they've lost all their jobs now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dean, go on, hit us with what law you would change. I remember a game, I think it was this season actually, when you kick and it touches a guy's charging down, and you charge down and it touches the fingers, the people behind are not offside. Yeah, that's bizarre. So then you catch it, but they're not offside, and straight away you get banged. You get, you, they're, they're rewarded mm. for a good play of charge now. Yeah, you're you. not rewarded for charge, like just yeah. rewarded. So I think you have to retain, you have to be onside, whether it's a touch or not. I think that would be a great law. Yeah. So Taylor was criticised for talking about malls. You just want a bit more space. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as long as there's less defenders in front of me, then it doesn't matter, does it? I think that's the best one. I think that's that's the one with. Mm. I think it okay. was. I think it was Louis against Elin on a Friday night, and I think Rich kicked through. Rich charged it down, but it clipped his finger, so the ball spun in the air in a weird way. Louis caught it, but then had three props returning. Turning around and going bang and he and a knock on. They saw over the moon, weren't they? <laughs> we we shall write to World Rugby. I think that probably needs that, changing. That rule there. Uh, Dee Adamson of Bedford. Yeah. Should we do that? Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you very much indeed, boys. It's been an absolute treat to have you on the Bedford Blues podcast. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. Really have. Yeah. Yes. My well, thanks. My thanks. Thank you, Sam. No problem. My thanks to Ed Taylor. Uh, my thanks to Will Hooley. And my thanks to Dean Adamson. Uh, we'll be, well, we are at the Swan Hotel and we'll just probably finish off another slice of cake whilst we're here. But thank you to the Swan Hotel for uh, their hospitality. And uh, yeah, keep an ear out. The uh, next pod will be along very soon thank you for listening uh, from everyone on the Bedford Blues podcast a very goodbye bye